Well, good morning to each one of you. Greetings in the precious name of Jesus. This is um, something that I've been looking forward to coming down here. This is the first time I've been in this building. I've seen it before. So truly a privilege to, to see what has become probably somewhat normal for the rest of you. So Lord, it's just rich blessings as you have started on this endeavor of, of starting a new work down here. I know it's maybe, maybe takes a greater degree of faith when you're at a temporary location with not, uh, how does Hebrews say, no, no certain dwelling place. <laughs> so Lord bless you. I trust he knows your need and, and I'm thankful we can gather to worship gives me a little bit of that house church feel. I'm used to having people here to look at, so I'm not sure how it's going to go this morning. I, I like looking at people, so I think I'll be doing this quite a bit. I get, get something back from you. See if you're sleeping or what's going on. So what, what has God been doing in your life? What um, a Sunday school lesson this morning, just the, the um, thought of, or the, the painful thought of that that we could be going through the motions of worship and of church and that God would be displeased he would be turned away it would be a kind of a stench to him that's this picture we saw in the Sunday school lesson this morning to think of that that my life could be that is 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 highly concerning and I trust, by the grace of God, none of us are there, or this worship service would not be that way. Rather that God would be pleased to, to, to be looking down on here and sensing the, just the sincere worship of his people. People who love him every day of the week. And um, this, this week I was doing a bit of traveling and turned a CD on... Um, Park, I hear the harps eternal. I believe that was an SMBI CD. Matt, were you in that? Uh, you know which one I'm talking about. It's, uh, we've had it for years. I really enjoy it. And they, the, my favorite song in there is the song, My God and I. And I don't think that's in our hymns. I don't believe we know it. I want to read the lyrics. It's a beautiful song. I wasn't thinking a little bit about the how... I, I don't, the, symbolism is, the symbolism is powerful, but it's very my God and I. We understand that uh, Christian life certainly is beyond my God and I. So lest you think I'm uh, preaching individualism here and it's just me and God and we got this. No, we understand the church. But I do believe there's a certain element as we leave this place that we set forth my God and I. And maybe tying that back to the Sunday school lesson is to understand that God, is, it's an ongoing relationship. It's every day of the week. It's every moment. And not just when we're focusing on worshiping him, but throughout the day, throughout work and travel and home care, whatever, we're, whatever our days are filled with, that God is, is asking to go with us, asking to have a guide us and direct us. So I just want to read those lyrics. Starts out, my God and I go in the field together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadow's hue. He tells me of the years that went before me, 
when heavenly plans were made for me to be, when all was but a dream of dim reflection to come to life earth's verdant glory see. My God and I will go for A together. We'll walk and talk just as good friends do. This earth will pass and with its common trifles, but God and I will go unendingly. I think the last, oh, the whole song means a lot to me. The last verse really speaks to me as we find ourselves in the struggle of life. And at times it becomes overwhelming. It is all we can see. The picture there is of eternity. We, were, we are and were created eternal beings. And the incredible privilege of starting an eternal relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. The invitation to walk with God in this life and to think of that stretching on into eternity. This earth will pass and with its common trifles, those trifles at times overwhelm me. They're so real to me. They're, they're right in front of me. Whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in relationships, or you name it. But you can look at so many of things, the troubles of this life, and realize that every one of them, or most of them, are for, the, are for time, and they will pass. But our relationship with God goes on unendingly. And sometime we're going to transfer. It's going to go on. And it just gave me a hope. A reassurance. You don't give up. You keep looking up. You walk with God day by day. That is not necessarily the topic of the message this morning. I invite you to walk, turn with me to John, Gospel of John, chapter 1. I want to look at the topic of truth. And um, truth is a large topic. So as I was thinking about it, I narrowed it down to largely the book of John, as we find that theme rather common through John, and I uh, believe there's a lot of good things to say, but the truth is a, is a, a neat word. It has a lot to do with, um, with everything about us. But what I want you to think briefly in the opening here is, is what, what is your relationship with truth? What, how do you and truth get along? What are the thoughts you think about yourself, about others, about God, your circumstances? How do you view your, your body the way God made you, your personality, your abilities, about others' abilities? What is guiding the direction of life, the decisions you make, the thoughts you think, the words you say? Truth is so um, necessary in our lives because there is two forces in the world vying for our attention, two forces trying to push us in a certain direction. And one good force is from God, the source of truth, the source of light, of love, is, is giving us a, a, the, the way that we ought to live. 
But we also know there's another force coming from Satan, and that is of opposite of God. It has darkness, lies, has hatred. And we have the invitation by God to make a choice, to follow his kingdom of truth and light, or to believe the lies of Satan and be brought into that. We have the privilege of reading and understanding, absorbing God's light and truth, and spreading that to the people around us. If we don't do that, we will be spreading pain and lies that comes from Satan. So that is kind of the, the thought pattern that we're going down this morning. Let's go back to Genesis. Why don't you have to turn there and think about the, actually Genesis 3. We think about God's beautiful creation, created perfectly, created beautifully. The garden that mankind was placed in, Adam and Eve, everything was just perfect. And, um, you know, God could have made that perfect place with no possibility of sin, no possibility of disobedience, but he didn't. He wanted, he wanted a people who were, had the ability to choose to love him, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. So he, he put one rule in there. There's one tree that you may not eat of it. We know the story. Satan came and he perpetuated the first lie. He presented a form of truth, twisted it, and made it into a lie, and put a question in their mind, is God really good? In fact, he said, God is keeping something from you. They believed the lie, and they disobeyed God's clear instruction. God's clear instruction, thou shalt not eat of that tree. They allowed the untruth to sink into them, justifying that because it would offer them something good, the knowledge of good and evil, because the tree looked good, because it had that desire that temptation often does, they reached out, they pulled the fruit from the tree, and they disobeyed God, and they embraced the lie of Satan. Ever since then, that disobedience has brought suffering on mankind. The lie that was started there has been perpetuated throughout in many different ways. And many of God's good gifts that he created, Satan has twisted and tweaked, and men are still reaching out symbolically and taking the fruit and disobeying God and bringing upon them suffering and death and disease and turmoil and misery because of their disobedience to God. It's still happening today. So... In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. And you get this sense of, of just everything centered on God. And we go into the creation story, and we see everything happening there. But if you go to John chapter 1, I like the similar, similarity of the beginning. It says, in the beginning was the Word. So now, if you can think about maybe John chapter 1 as a, as a new creation, a new beginning, a new start. And I believe that is what it's describing. In the beginning was the Word, that's our subject right there in this verse. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. 
familiar verses, but think about this globe here in darkness. Think about the world as a dark place. And I remember about, um, I don't know if it was 10 years ago, we were flying home from, that was probably longer than that, Alberta, Canada, I believe is where we're flying home from. We're flying into uh, JFK Airport, New York City. I had a window seat. And as we were dropping down, I could sense we were coming close to the airport. The time is right, but when you're in an airplane, as you're coming down, you realize the altitude is changing. You fear it in your head. The pressure is changing. Just, you know you're dropping. The airplane's slowing down. It's making different noises. So by all those things, I knew we were approaching the runway. But when I looked out across the wing, I was at a wing seat. All I could see at the end of the wing was that blinking light. I could see nothing else because it was so foggy. We were coming down through the clouds. It was, a, I think it was winter, and it was just so foggy. So that's not unusual. You expect to break through the cloud cover soon, and then you can see the city and the runway. But we just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And it just kept going and going. And I knew we were getting close, and it started giving this eerie feeling. You see nothing. It's like coming down through soup. All of a sudden, the cloud cover broke, and we were like 100 feet above the runway. I mean, we were just a few seconds before we hit that runway. All of a sudden, you saw light. All of a sudden, things, and everything lined up perfectly. That pilot knew what he was doing, and we hit that runway on track, landed safely, and I'm here today. Another illustration is when you're driving maybe down here along 15 on a very foggy morning or on a, a foggy, rainy night. And you are driving along, and you just do not have that visibility you like to have. It's soupy, and you have to focus. You have to pay attention. You're so thankful when your headlights, do you use high beam or low beam? You want to try to get that light just right so you can keep your eye on the road. And you know if somebody would be stopped out here because of an emergency, you wouldn't have a lot of warning. You couldn't see those red lights way out ahead. All of a sudden, they'd be there and you'd have to slam on the brakes to avoid a collision. I believe that the darkness of sin is similar. It is disorienting, it's confusing, it's dangerous. But here it's describing Jesus Christ from the beginning by the very nature of God coming and bringing light and life unto men. Now here it says that light is shining into the darkness. The darkness doesn't comprehend, doesn't realize it, but there's, we, we see Jesus as a picture of light, as a way of bringing truth and, and um, freedom to this dark world, bursting down into a dark and confused place. Let's continue reading verses 6 through 13. There, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, or John the Baptist, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Who, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here it describes how when the light comes, it has a transforming power to those who receive it, to those who accept it. 
It doesn't go through the dark world and demand obedience or overtake the darkness. In this situation, it needs to be received and accepted to be to, to have it effective. But when we do receive it, we notice that it's not because of our own power that it's effective, but rather because of the power of God. That transforming light comes and hits, and it overwhelms, it takes over, it's powerful as we receive it. I want to come into the focus of the verses, next verse, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. Who's the Word? Jesus Christ was made flesh. He took on the human body, the human flesh, came and lived among us. He dwelt among us. And John, this is Apostle John, who was that beloved disciple who spent time with Jesus, who knew him probably as good as any of the disciples, he said, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He said, I had the privilege of walking right beside the word of God, the eternal creature, the light that came in this world. I had the privilege of knowing him as a friend knows a friend. But he describes him in a, in a powerful way here at the end of verse 14, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. That's the theme of the message this morning, is that truth that embodies Jesus Christ. Truth is, you know, it, it cuts straight. There's no question. The truth stands on its own. Even if nobody believes it, the truth is still true. Truth is, you can't wiggle around it. You can't um, somehow water it down. It's still true. We tend to, um, truth can be very hard and condemning. But we notice here that Jesus didn't come with just truth. He came full of grace and truth. And in his nature is that perfect balance between that grace that gives us a chance because I feel if only truth would have come it would have brought condemnation on this awful wicked place he would have said there is no hope but he came full of grace the love of Jesus the love of God came and made a way that we can have a relationship with him John bare witness of him crying, saying that this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He's, he's giving the opposite of both the law, which um, uh, is in Galatians, says it condemns us. The law says you look at it, you try to live it, and you fail. And it, the law says you're wrong. You are a failure. You're wrong. You're condemned by God. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus came to provide a way that we can live for him. Okay, I have a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to go quickly through the book of John. So just follow on. And we're going to follow this theme of truth. In chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, after the... Beautiful little passage in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. He says this in verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So remember the light shining in the world? But if you do evil and you love evil, you're not going to step into the light because you step into the light, all of a sudden the things that you were doing that were evil are revealed. They're brought out into the light. 
And so if you like those evil deeds, you don't want them revealed, you don't want rid of them, you're, not, you're going to stay in the darkness. Verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Here's the invitation. Here's the plan. That if you want to come into God's light, if you want to embrace truth, you need to step out of the darkness. You need to allow God's light to shine on everything, including your wickedness, so that we and come into that light, come into that power, so that we'll be transformed, forgiven, made free. Chapter 4, verse 22, Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, and he's talking about worship, about true worship. He said, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Truth, that trueness of spirit that honesty before god is a key ingredient to worship god and i think that dovetails with the sunday school lesson that if we come here to worship in hypocrisy and duplicity duplicity we're, we're we're worshiping god by a form of worship this morning but the, in in our minds maybe even sitting here and throughout our week we're taking care of ourselves and we really don't love god at all it's not going to work he said, if you want to worship me, you're going to worship me in truth. You're going, to be, you're going to be sincere. You're going to be true before him. Now, the silly little fact is, is that us humans try to think that we can fool God like we can fool all the people around us. So we put our plain suit on, we come to church, and we say everything's all right, even when it isn't. But all of us here, I believe, would agree that God is not like us humans. He sees the heart. He understands when we're trying to fool him and everybody else, and he's horrified by it. He's turned off. Jesus said, you want to worship me, you want to worship God, you're going to come and you're going to be open before God and man. You're going to be, like, true. You can allow truth to be a part of your life and live that way. Turn with me John chapter 8, and we'll look at some people in verses 31 to 47. The Jews who did not do that, and Jesus has a discourse with him that is very telling of the human heart. John chapter 8, verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Okay, so here's the context. Jesus is talking to the Jews who said, We want to follow you. We want to be your disciples. We want to believe on you. So let's say Jesus is talking to us. Right? That's what we're doing. We're following Jesus. We want to do what is it means. If you want to follow me, if you want to continue to be my disciples... If you want to continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The title of the message this morning, the truth shall make you free. So truth is uncomfortable. You're the little boy. You did something wrong. You tried to cover it up. Dad comes along, and he tells you the truth. Did you do that? No, I didn't. But I saw you do it, or whatever evidence. He uncovers the truth, and you're caught. You're wrong because you tried to cover it up, and it's very uncomfortable. But the neat thing about it is when you hang your head and say, Dad, yes, I did that, and you take your punishment and you get your spanking for lying, what happens after that? There's freedom, right? You're no longer living under the guilt of sin. You're no longer trying to hide it. You're no longer sneaking around the corner. I had a son. I have three sons, so I think this thing I say that. But he had a problem wetting his pants. And I remember him walking along, pulling his shirt down. 
and just, you know, everything on his face said, I'm guilty. You know, as a father, you just, you just knew that something needed to be, something was wrong here. It didn't take long to figure it out. When we are guilty, we tend to try to hide. But the truth, once we finally say, yes, I have sinned, I have done wrong, when we come before God, there's freedom to be found. But listen to the answer in this passage of these people. He said, the answer, we be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Then Jesus clarifies what he's really talking about. He wasn't talking necessarily about um, whether they were serving someone else physically. He's talking about what sin does to the human heart. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I just, the, the, the power of these verses, the power of these phrases, the truth shall make you free, and then it says you shall be free indeed. Do you know what it's like this morning to be free indeed? It, I just, rings. It's, it should cause us to desire that freedom in Jesus Christ. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto him, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus saith unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you believe not me not. Which of you convinces me of sin, and I say the truth? Why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. God. That is some pretty powerful language that Jesus spoke to the Jews at that time. Very painful. But if we refuse to embrace the truth, if we refuse to allow God's truth to speak to us, if we cover up sin, that is what's happening. If we um, follow Satan's lies instead of God's truth, we are following Satan. And I think we need to be very careful that um, that we don't take the bait of temptation. Satan has ways of dressing up sin that look very appealing. And another thing he does is he tries to cast God into a bad light every chance he gets. So he says, you know, God made a rule or he made a law or something that says you shouldn't do that. And, and he get, gets this picture that like God is a stingy old man up there trying to keep you from having fun. Satan is doing that all the time, and he's very effective at it, and people believe him. They take the hook, and they get caught by it, and it destroys them. So I have a question for each of us this morning, is how do I view God, and how do I view, is he good? We have a, a little thing in our bathroom that says that God is good. He's good all the time. God is completely good. Do you believe that? 
We believe that God loves us, that he has the best for us in his mind, that his law is, is perfect and pure and good? Or do we even our question kind of feel a little bit gypped when we follow God in that, that following him might be second best? See, all those questions, all that guessing is, is a lie from Satan, trying to get us to bite the hook to say that disobeying God is actually better than obeying him. Or maybe you were here obeying God, but you're kind of frustrated because you watch out there and it's like, am I really having the good thing? Listen, brothers and sisters, we need to embrace the truth. We need to step into the light and say God is good and he's good all the time and his word is good, his law is pure. To follow him is the best life to live. It's, a, it's absolute, no matter how hard it is, the best way to go. So we do not become confused by the ultimate liar. Notice how Jesus describes Satan here. There is no truth in him. He, 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 by his very nature, is always lying. Now, he may not be outright lying, but he, he takes it, truth and twists it, and he changes it. And he's always looking for a way of taking God's beautiful standard of truth and somehow twisting and destroying it. Whether, whether it be outright or twisted, it's all wrong. Do we understand that? Do we see that? Jesus in John chapter 14, 6. Well, first, I want to talk about if we refuse God's way, if we refuse to embrace the truth like these, these Jews were doing, there's only one other option. There's no middle road. We start embracing Satan's lies, and we start bringing discourse and, and heartache and ruin into our lives and the lives surrounding us. There's only two ways. One is we embrace Jesus Christ completely in his truth, or we follow and start doing Satan's work, whether it's willingly or unwillingly. John chapter 14, turn with me to there, verse 6. Another part of the theme of truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That is one such an important verse for us to know and embrace, is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way. You know, it's so simple. It's so hard. You know, there's, there's no softness there for compromise. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to God, to life, to freedom. And I believe that is the truth. Okay. So I trust that as sitting in church here this morning, that each one of us who's of an age has or is thinking about fully embracing the truth. You've given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have allowed him to transform you. Something is happening. Jesus said, when I leave this earth, when I ascend back to my father, which he did um, a long time ago, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send someone to you, and that is the spirit. But I want you to take note how this spirit is described. In John 14, verse 16, he said, I will pray the father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. The promise of God's Holy Spirit to his believers, to those who believe him, his truth, to send the very essence of his nature through the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And we'll continue going down through verse chapter 15, verse 26. 
But when the Comforter is come, whom I send unto you from Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. He's going to share things that come straight from Jesus Christ from the Father. Chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever we sh he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And what I'm thinking about the relationship between the word of God and the Holy Spirit of truth, because there's a strong correlation there. God did not leave us without a map, and he sent that map through the holy word of God. And this word is powerful. It's, it's amazing. The, the privilege that each one of you have to, to have your own Bible is incredible. Do you believe that? It's hard for us to believe that because we have Bibles cheaper by the dozen, right? We have them laying here and laying there. And sometimes the preciousness of it is lost on us because of its sheer availability. But it does not lessen neither its preciousness or its need. Because for the person who has chosen to step into the light of God's word, to embrace the truth of Jesus Christ, to believe on him, and has received the Holy Spirit of God, the word of God becomes like dynamite, like powerful, like how the word of God coupled with the spirit of God can guide the child of God into all truth is so, so powerful. I just want to really, I don't know if I can overemphasize how much, he, how much the children of God who call upon the name of the Lord need to walk in the word of God. Because as we embrace the word of God, as we read it, as we search it for a guide to our pathway, the Holy Spirit of God is able to speak through the word of God and into our lives in a powerful way. Psalms talks about thy word is a lamp to my feet. Think about the light again and how as we read the word of God and as we're going through the stumbling through the darkness, yes, even as believers, the world is a dark and confusing place. It gives a picture that there would be a lamp there with us, a light always there to guide our steps and teach us the way that we should go. John, one last verse in John chapter in the theme of truth, in verse 36. Jesus is in front of Pilate, and Pilate says, what, you know, where, where, what are you doing here? Are you king? And um, Jesus answered, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence. He's just telling him the truth. I'm a king, but not from here. Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I'm a king? To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. His kingdom is made up of people who hear his truth and receive it. That is the king we serve. Pilate didn't understand that. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? I believe Pilate lived a life where truth was subjective. He was used to seeing it trampled on and twisted and used to father his own ends and other people's ends. He was a man of this world. That's how men of this world see truth. Now, I want to turn from the theme of truth and bring it down to your life a little bit more. I do believe I brought it down to our lives that we need to embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. But what I want to think about is James chapter 3. I don't have time to read it, but you can turn with me to James chapter 3. 
And the first 12 verses in there talk about how the tongue is so destructive. How what we say can just tear down. And I, I want to call myself, and I want to call each one of you who, who, who um, name the name of Jesus Christ, to think about how we thought, of, we th- thought about the truth that Jesus brought. But now think about that truth impacting us and spreading out to those around us. And I believe the first 12 describe how the very opposite, that of when we live in the carnal nature, how so often the words that come out of our mouth tend to destroy others. They tend to tear down. They tend to, in, in some way or the other, create havoc and damage. We think of those, uh, especially in children, and as parents or adults can relate to little children and how they can either guide them and, and direct them in the right way or how they can tear them out with one cutting word. And I, I just think of, of an older lady who, who we know who shared with us her dad, how her dad used to call her ugly. He said, you know, you're ugly. Just. You know, she's still living out of that. She, that, that lie, she might have, she didn't say it like in a weepy way or a way that this is so terrible. But you could see how the way she lived her life, that lie was still impacting her. It describes here in these 12 verses how we can switch from me preaching this morning, hopefully the truth of God. I can just as easily this afternoon or tomorrow morning cut someone down. Right? We have that ability. That carnal nature is still down there ready to rise to the top and how destructive it is. But let's go and focus in on verses 13 through 18. He said, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. He's calling us to be men of wisdom. And then he contrasts it with what we shouldn't be. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not, lie not against truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but it is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. He clarifies that it's only one or the other. Either we're wise and we're seeking God's truth, or we embrace this, this envying strife that comes from the pit of hell. Verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful calling. What a beautiful challenge to us to let those beautiful things spread out, bringing peace instead of pieces. So, trying to think about the the practical part when we think about truth. Truth is not always comfortable. And maybe at times godly men or women are called to bring truth into someone else's life and say, listen, I see something going on in your life that is concerning me, and I want, to, I want to confront you about it. I want to, I want to show you what I feel God is telling me. And, and hopefully, in a kind way, they attempt to bring some truth into your life. Now, I won't ask for a raise of hand, but personally, when that happens, that's, that's hard. If I'm on the receiving end, even if they do it just right, it... it causes a pain in my soul because I know, I, yes, I've been wrong. Usually if it is the truth, I, can, I know what they're talking about. It's, it hits me and says, okay, 
you're right, they have a point here. And uh, how, how can we receive that? Can we receive that truth as something from God? Can we see it as something that will make our lives better instead of reacting to it? Ephesians 4.15 challenges us, if you are that person going to the other person to speak the truth, that we should speak the truth in love. That we should have a heart of graciousness and love. Maybe be a little like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Balance those two out. Don't live by the thing, well, the truth hurts. It does hurt, but you don't have to add a punch to it. The truth by itself hurts when we feel it. Now, as we appeal for wisdom, as we appeal for living in the truth, I want to think a little bit about the contrast of those who do not allow the grace and truth to come out of their lives in a beautiful way in wisdom, but to those who, who are like a madman. Is that how Solomon requires it in Proverbs? A madman casting about burning brands, throwing stuff. He said that's the kind of man that is using his tongue in, in a foolish ways. I'm going to think about a few ways that, that could happen. I think this is one that can easily happen to many of us. I mean, that is teasing. And I think teasing can be done in a way that that leaves a person feeling loved in the end, leaves a person feeling valued. But I would say, my experience, more often than not, it's not that way. Too often, teasing can leave you um, undermined, or there's a barb at the end, something that sticks. We need to be careful with that. If it is, if it is destroying, it's destructive, and if it's spreading lies, we need to really evaluate what, what I need to. I'm talking to myself. I need to evaluate my teasing and say, am I, am I actually spreading God's truth and love here, or am I destroying? And I, I know that too often it can be negative. Another big one is a, our spirit of which we relate to others, and that is of a critical spirit. And I find that in my heart so quickly, especially as relating to my children, uh, or especially relating to someone you live with constantly, is you can start getting annoyed by their certain traits. And after a while, they can't do anything right for you. And I, I've, I, I've sensed that myself, actually this morning, I, I won't share, but I was sitting somewhere, and I could feel that critical spirit just, it was bothering me. And maybe there is something wrong. Maybe there's something that needs to be, to be addressed, whether it be in your children or someone. And you need to tell them the truth. It's like, you know, this needs to change. But what can happen so quickly is that, um, that people can't do anything right for you anymore. People can live under that, and they, they always sense like they did something wrong. That's a critical spirit, and it destroys. We need to be building life and truth and let light shine into people's lives. Build them up for the good that we see. So often I can pick out the one little flaw and completely ignore everything else, including the things that are right and good. Should we not build up that, the good things we see on a regular basis so that at times when we do need to criticize, it can be done in love in a way that builds? Another big one is gossiping. How do we use our tongue? What do we do with that juicy tale we heard? Who do we share with it? Do we stretch it? Do we twist it? Or do we keep quiet like we probably should? Another thing is manipulation. 
and not of using our words and our power, whatever God has gifted us, to manipulate others to our personal advantage, often using deceit. I believe that Satan's, that's right out of his, his handbook. He's doing it all the time. But they, by, by twisting truth, by using whatever we can, we manipulate for our own advantage, and it is destructive. Rather, I feel that we should be looking for ways of spreading truth and love, that of, of any way that God gives us. I think of some practical ways of, of many cards that I personally have received that had encouraging notes in them, and they um, were meant to, to encourage, whether it be at birthday times or other times. I think of our modern ways of communication. Certainly, um, those can be used to bless others instead of how they're often used to perpetuate Satan's lies. How much does it mean when I get down on my knees and intercede on behalf of a brother or sister? Does that matter? Is there anything happening there? Well, I believe the Bible teaches us that it is, that it is changing things for other people. Of course, the challenge of learning to praise others, learning to say, good job, or I really appreciate what you did there. Or wow, I, you know, just, just something to call attention to the fact that, that they did a good job. And then finally, just simply knowing the word of God well enough, embracing it regularly enough to be able to share it with others. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I read something today that really encouraged me and that might apply to this situation and share that verse to, to spread God's truth in places that it may not be getting. So the challenge I got out of this study on, the, on truth is that I could be an agent of God, a God-given a, a God agent that is going out there and, and encouraging others. I'm uh, challenging others. So sometimes truth is encouraging. Sometimes it lifts you up. Sometimes it um, convicts you. So like if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're next to someone that's a follower of Satan and his own ways, hopefully there's a little bit of con confrontation there. There's a little bit of where, where your presence will be that salt and light revealing the darkness that is there and calling people to the truth of Jesus Christ. May we embrace that truth. May we not believe the lies that are out there, the lies of all sorts. You know, you may have been told lies growing up. Lies about your personal looks, lies about your personal abilities. And those lies might have been told by trustworthy people in your lives. And it's important that you refute those lies with the truth of God because if you live out of those lies for the rest of your life, they will hinder you. So how do, you how do you combat lies? How do you combat things that are in your mind that are ingrained in you from ever since you were a little guy that says you're no good or you're ugly or you're not capable? Is that the truth? We need, a, we need to have a regular diet of the truth. We need to go to the Word of God and find out what the Word of God says about me. There's a lot in here. Some of it hurts. Sometimes some people need to hear some hard truths. Sometimes other people need to hear some encouraging truths. Because as we live out of the truth is when we can start blessing our children. We can start speaking the truth in their lives. But if we live out of the lies that people told us and we say, I'm no good, 
My looks are terrible. My abilities are shortcoming. What do we tend to do? We tend to pass his lies on. We tend to somehow give that same feeling to the people we love. And we don't want to do that. We want to embrace the truth and spread that all around us. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Father in heaven.